BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase and a member FDIC 2024 J.P. Morgan Chase and Co. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Pushkin. Just a quick note here. You can listen to all of the music mentioned in this episode on our playlist, which you can find a link to in the show notes. For licensing reasons, each time a song is referenced in this episode, you'll hear this sound effect. All right, enjoy the episode. Mary Gauthier believes that good songs can save lives. She turned to music in her 30s and became a songwriter of incredible depth and honesty with songs like Mercy Now, A Long Way to Fall, and I Drink, songs that she says helped save her life. A few years ago, Mary started collaborating with U.S. military veterans and their spouses, helping them write songs about their own experiences. Some of those songs are featured on her latest album, Rifles and Rosary Beads. Recently, we sat down with Mary in Nashville, asked her to play a few songs from the album, and talk about this unique collaboration. I'm Bruce Hedlum, and this is Broken Record. So tell me a bit about this song. Yes, thank you. Um, This was written with a group of military spouses from a bunch of different branches of the military, five different spouses, and my fellow songwriter, Beth Nielsen Chapman. And we wrote this uh, at a Songwriting with Soldiers retreat. Songwriting with Soldiers is a nonprofit that pairs uh, civilian songwriters with veterans and uh, military spouses so that uh, we can uh, make songs out of their experiences. Now, you came to this. You've done this for several years. But you came to this, you don't come from a military background. Your family wasn't in the military. Is that right? Well, my dad served in Korea, but we never, ever heard a word about his service. There was mm-hmm. one picture of him in uniform, and he never, ever talked about his service. Uh, but he, um, he did serve. Uh, I have zero experience with the military, and until I started working with Songwriting with Soldiers, I didn't know anyone who'd served in Afghanistan or Iraq. So take me inside the room when you first started working with veterans and spouses? 
I was asked to do it by the founder of Songwriting with Soldiers, Darden Smith, because of a referral through Daryl Scott, fellow songwriter here in Nashville, who had done a program uh, with them and thought I would be, uh, I would be up for the task of doing uh, one of these retreats. So Darden invited me, uh, and uh, the first retreat I did was all women, all female soldiers. I got paired with two women, and we sat down, and, and uh, I was a nervous wreck because of my limited knowledge of what they'd been through. And so I, I wanted to get it right, and I wanted to capture what they had to say, but I didn't know what I was doing yet. And so I just kind of interviewed them, and they had a lot to say. And as they spoke, I just typed it into my laptop. And I learned uh, right away that at, at some point, a title, a song title is going to pop out of their mouth and just put that on the top of the page and start working on it. Now, you know, military people, and I've, I've done a project with veterans as well and their spouses, and they're the first to tell you that they don't always have access to those emotions and to those feelings. Was there something you had to break through? Were they guarded? What I remember is that when the music starts to come and it reflects what they're saying, it is kind of a can opener. It just opens the walls of protection that they've built around their heart. Melody is very powerful. And it, when it reflects you, you feel seen and heard. And that empathy bond breaks down, I think, the natural self-protection uh, that someone has when they've been traumatized. And so many of our veterans do carry war trauma. So I think the answer is yes, a lot of the vets are protected, especially with civilians, because we don't know what they've been through. But also, I think there's a sense that, that they're being heard when the music starts to come. So you were first working on the words. You said you were at your laptop. Mm -hmm. You didn't have your guitar. That's right. When could you bring the guitar in? Pretty quickly. I think once I have a couple of lines, then I want to see how they're going to sing. So I'll just start messing around with very simple chord progressions, and, and it starts to sing pretty quickly. And <laughs> I've been doing this for six years now, so I, I have, have quite a bit of experience. But I, I like to look up when the music starts to come because almost always their eyes get big because it's, music sees us in, in ways that there's not really an explanation for. Music goes to the deepest part of who we are. And when, when the music sees them, they, they kind of are blown away in a way. Like, it's like, what? Like, this is gonna really truly reflect me. You know, that's what we as songwriters just sort of take for granted. And because this is our job, we know it as as part of our everyday life. But for someone who's never uh, experienced an original song of their story, it is, it is it's quite astonishing process. And how do they react after that? Do they feel a little self-conscious again? Or do you feel it opens up something that stays open? I think there's a real sense of intimacy that's formed and empathy in the co-write, in the writing room. But when we take the song back into the large group, and they realize, oh my God, what I just revealed is going to be played in front of all these people, I think a lot of fear is experienced. And when we talk about it in the retreats, the founder, Darden Smith, always says there's two kinds of courage, at least. There's the kind of courage it takes to put the uniform on and, and go serve the country, and the kind of courage it takes to take the uniform off and be honest 
about what happened over there and what remains inside of you that's unresolved. And so this is courage time. When their song is about to be played in front of their group, I I think there's a lot of fear. I mean, I've seen guys from special forces break into a cold sweat that's running down both sides of their face. Do you remember playing this song in front of the the Warrens uh, after the war? Do you Mm -hmm. remember taking this song into a bigger room? Yes. Do you remember what the reaction was? Yes, all of the women who co-wrote it were huddled into a a group and they were holding each other's hands and there were tears and there was a sense of sisterhood and understanding and instant bond that a song is capable it's empathy they they knew they know each other's experience they've lived each other's lives mm-hmm. and, uh, and what was the reaction in the audience what was well, the, the audience was their husbands uh, okay. a lot of them right and their husbands uh, uh, if i remember right so many of their husbands say the true hero is is my wife mhm Nobody knows what she's going through. You know, people thank me for my service, but she's going through the aftermath and deserves a thing. I think the husbands were grateful that that this song gave voice to their hero. In many instances, it's their wife. Mm-hmm. Did, yeah. uh, did that surprise any of the men? I think it was a relief. Because this was a co-write with a, a group of women. So it wasn't any couple singled out. It was oh, five see. women and five men. And that the, the group provided cover and, and relief. Like, oh, we're all going through it. It's not just, it's not just us. Mm-hmm. Which is, that's the great power of song uh, in a nutshell. It, songs let us know we're not alone, right? That's, that's what I was drawn to all along from the very beginning listening to the radio as a kid, it's like, oh my God, that's me coming out of that little box on the wall, the, the intercom. You know? <laughs> do, do you remember the first song that did that for you, that made you feel that you shared an experience with someone else, someone you didn't know? Oh God, the radio and Casey Kasem's American Top 40. Listen to it uh, in my room, laying in my little twin bed under the intercom in Baton Rouge, Louisiana in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and song after song after I tried so hard to stay awake for the top 10. Song after song after song. It was, Bruce said it the best, Springsteen, I learned more from a four-minute record than I ever did in school. Mm-hmm. Music and songs have always been where I've tried to, where I have I've found uh, my story, myself. My emotional reality is, is in songs. What, what surprised you the most when you started working with the veterans and with um, their families? I think what's been most surprising to me is the heaviness of the weight that they carry. Just how hard it is to deal with war trauma inside a family system in a war that goes on and on and on. A lot of these troops are active duty, so they're going to be called back. A lot of the vets we've worked with have multiple, multiple deployments. Um, if I'm not mistaken, we're in our 18th year of, of the conflict in Afghanistan and Iraq. Mm-hmm. And it's falling on a very proportionally to the population, small number of people. Uh, they carry so much. And one of the shocking things for me is this could be my kids. I'm, I'm 50, I'll be 57 uh, in the next little while. And these, these could be my, my babies. Uh, it, it really uh, activated a maternal impulse in me I, I didn't even know I had. I just want to wrap my arms around them and keep them safe. Uh, 
I uh, I found myself in 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 many ways uh, drawn to to them in in a way that is new for me. Very quickly, deep deep love. I I love these people. Now we should say this this song and many of the songs you're going to play today were from your most recent album, which is Rifles and Rosary Beads, which was uh, all the songs are co-written with veterans. Yep, and their spouses. And their spouses. Mm-hmm. Now. Not to scare people away, but I think a lot of these songs, they are incredibly powerful, but you know, there's some songs that explicitly address the war experience, but there's songs like this one, it's got that great line, and I'm not going to ask you to say which one of the people wrote it, because I'm going to just assume they all did, caught between my pain and the pain of someone else. I think that's something that even people who aren't veterans or in their families, people understand that kind of experience. Were you trying to write songs that could be lifted out of its immediate circumstance and like this is a song for everybody? Mm, definitely not. No. What I was trying to do is get to their deepest experience uh, because of the years I've been doing this, I know for a fact that if I can get to their deepest experience it will just be a song for everybody. Mm-hmm. Because if you go past the personal to the deeply deeply personal, you hit the universal. And the universal is what makes a song great and what we try to do is write great songs with members of the military and their spouses. Uh, the The goal is is to find what the song wants to say and and what their souls need to say. Well, let's hear a very different song, a great song, <laughs> um, which is called Iraq, and it's about a very different experience. Thank you. We'll be back with Mary Gaucher's song Iraq after this break. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. I've interviewed many successful people over the years, and one thing I find fascinating is many of them don't consider themselves business savvy. Take the owners of Tight Knit Brewing. They turn to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards and do all of it in one place with the Chase mobile app. And that's helped these brew-loving friends turn a passion into a business. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. 
Chase Mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. We're back with Mary Gaucher performing her song, Iraq, from the album Rifles and Rosary Beads. Can you tell me the story of writing this song? Yeah, I wrote this with a, a female large engine mechanic who served uh, in the Army. Her name is Brandy Davidson, and she was a, uh, a vibrant, incredibly charismatic, beautiful woman with a million-dollar smile and beautiful clothes, and she was a class president of her high school class, and she just had uh, personality. And she feels uh, or felt at the time that the sexual harassment she experienced in Iraq broke her down. And she had to rebuild herself after she, she came home. And it was stunning for me to hear her say that her enemy really wasn't Iraq, that the, the battle she was fighting and the war that she was engaged in was sexual harassment. Was that the phrase she used, her enemy wasn't? Iraq? That's correct. Mm -hmm. When you heard that, did you? I said, sweetie, let's call this thing Iraq. What do you think? And, you know, I I tried to imagine uh, uh, what it was like for her. And so I just asked her, you know, were you covered in grease? Give me the names of some of the tools. Mm -hmm. I don't know what a torque wrench is or any of those things she listed, but she does. And uh, she was one of only two large engine mechanics in the, the area where she served that were female. And so she was up against it, and it was really hard for her. Mm-hmm. There's, there's such beautiful lines in that song. The double meaning of I worked on my back, the, the, the image of her drawing a line, and of course your mind fills in the rest of it in the sand in a place where the wind blows the dust. That's quite incredible. Thank you. You've written a lot about trauma in your own life. I have. And for... People who don't know your story, you were adopted. You were in a foundling hospital for a year, back when they called them foundling hospitals. They sure did, yeah. You struggled with your adopted family, ran away from home. You did open a restaurant in Boston and stopped drinking alcohol at some point. Does your trauma make it easier to relate to the trauma of someone like this who had a very different experience? You know, I think so. I think, I think it does. Although all of the songwriters that work with the Songwriting with Soldiers program are really good at what they do, Mm -hmm. I I feel drawn to it in a way that feels natural to me. Um, Once I got over my original fear around doing a good job uh, and realized I I could do this job, uh, I I have a, a real strong belief that it's the songs and songwriting that were my life jackets after I got clean and sober. I needed, I needed something to hold on to. It couldn't be accumulating capital in a restaurant making jambalaya. I needed something more. And so uh, I walked away from the restaurant and, and became a, a full-on, full-time songwriter and literally worked my way through my own story in my writing, y- using the songs to, to, in many ways, release the poison. Hmm. And what happens is empathy. You know, people say, oh, my God, that's my song. You, you know me. You, you see me. I'm like, well, you know, we're, we're made of the same stuff. And that is, is very powerful for both the songwriter and the person who resonates with the song. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, you did not take up songwriting because you wanted to be Britney Spears. You did this at age 35, is that right? Yeah, I started writing songs in my mid-30s and came to Nashville at age 40. Do you remember the first song you wrote? Not really. Mm, I think it was probably pretty bad. Had you been... Had you, did you play the guitar by then, or was it? did you just start from kind of well, scratch? I kind of always had a guitar. My uh, Aunt Jenny gave me her mm. guitar. She was a bit of a folk singer, and uh, she gave me one of her old guitars when I was 13. Uh, and then I got my own uh, guitar a, a few years later from the music store, a Roundback Ovation, mm-hmm. the very first guitar that I ever plugged in uh, and made an acoustic electric guitar. But I didn't write songs until I got clean. So I would play some of my hero songs, you know, the, the simpler songs. But after I got clean and sober, I was very much called to write. And I couldn't really explain it. I didn't know why, but it became very clear that this is what I had to do. Mm-hmm. I never expected to make a career out of it, but that just came on. It was a process. Mm-hmm. And it came on, and then I just surrendered to it and came to Nashville when I was 40. When did you first step on a stage and sing your own songs? Probably when I was 32, 31. What was that like? It's probably the most frightening thing I've ever done. I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified. I remember all the spit drained out of my mouth. It was like I could have spit dust. I had nothing I had my heart exploding in my ears, no spit, my hands were shaking, and I I forgot the words, I forgot the chords, I lost it on stage, it was terrible. But something in me said, well, you're going to have to do that again. And I just told myself, yeah, that was horrible, but the good news is it can't be worse than that. Do it again. (laughs) (laughs) Had that been, been, I mean, you know, you were a cook before then, did you always throw yourself at things you found really hard? Apparently. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is it getting easier? Uh, it's gotten incredibly for me to be on stage, yeah. It's where I, I belong there, and I, I can take over uh, a stage uh, w- without terror. Um, do you want to play another song? <laughs> Happy to do it. <laughs> so tell me about your co-writer. Sailor in the Navy. His name is Jamie Trent. He, he served in Desert Storm. He wanted to write a song about how complex Veterans Day is for him, how the feelings that he has on November the 11th are not at all uh, simple. In fact, he he feels uh, opposite and conflicting emotions on that day. And I wanted to help him try to get to that. And as we talked, he, he told me that in his town on Veterans Day, if you have an active duty military ID, Waffle House will give you a free breakfast. And for me as a songwriter, that's just the whole movie's right there. Mm-hmm. So let's send you to Waffle House on November 11th and you tell me what happens. And we wrote the story uh, basically uh, using our imagination and his experience to uh, move the parade past the Waffle House while he's sitting there with conflicted emotions. How did you get that out of him? Well, songwriting is a skill, and I've been at it quite a while, Um, and I know that it needs to be a little movie, and the listener needs to be able to see the scenery and put themselves into the protagonist's body and look look out from their eyes. 
So when I ask them questions about what's going on in the little movie and they give me great answers, it's really exciting for me to ask Jamie, uh, what about when people thank you for your service? And, and he's like, I just don't know about that. What I got from him is that a lot of the folk who thank him for his service don't understand what his service is and continues to be. He's struggling. I got a text from him yesterday. He's been out of the military for quite some time, and he's in hospital today struggling with a heart condition that was brought on direct result of his service. He calls it the gift that keeps on giving. Mm-hmm. He's, he's dealing with probably a lifetime of health issues from what happened to him on the carrier, aircraft carrier that he worked on. So the movies come alive with detail. The songs are little movies, and the vets just give me the detail if I ask them the right questions. Is that the same process you put yourself through? Absolutely. You ask yourself those questions? Yep. Do you see the movie first, or do you have to build the movie? I build the movie. I never know how it's going to end. In this song, when the last line became clear that it was going to rain, we both screamed. It's so perfect. It's so perfect. We didn't know it was going to rain. It was coming along, and it was just, we both went, as it begins to rain, and we just scream because it's just like, and then the curtain closes. The songs have their own intelligence. In many ways, we're just trying to get David out of the marble, like Mm -hmm. Michelangelo said. But in other ways, I kind of know, I got the the chisel and the hammer. I kind of know where to bang. Okay. I'm going to try and steal some more of your tricks for (laughs) our listeners. Pretend I'm sitting here. I'm not a veteran. I've got a guitar in my hand. I wish it were as nice as your 1950 Gibson, which is really beautiful. I know three or four chords, like most people do. Where do I start? Well, you ask yourself, what, what matters to me today? What's important to me today? What's going on inside me today? What, 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 what are my concerns, areas of concern? I teach songwriting a lot, and, and my hope for each student is that they write the songs only they can write. Hmm. You know, everybody wants to be their hero or sound like Bob Dylan, but Bob's got that covered. And I think that we each have songs only we can write. And so my guide would, my guidance would be to address your areas of concern, deep concern, what really matters to you today, what's really bugging you today, what's bringing great joy today. I don't know if you're going to write a happy song or a sad song. I don't know your mood yet, but be honest about it in your song and just come up with three chords that sound like that feeling and let it start to be guided with an invisible hand that I don't have a name for. It exists for all of us. If we ask it to help us, it will. Does every one of your songs have, in the writing, have that kind of eureka moment, like when you realized that it was going to rain at the end of his song? No, not all of them, but I think the good ones all do, yeah. Mm-hmm. The good ones all contain what I call a God line, a line that is so good I couldn't have possibly written it that it came through me more than from me. And I look at the page and go, oh my God, look at that. Are you one of, because your songs seem so focused and so concentrated. I think most people who listen to you imagine that that you just write these songs and they're these little jewels and you uncover them. Are you that kind of writer or are you a kind of let a thousand flowers bloom? You write a lot of songs and then whittle them down. I whittle, I'm you a hard whittle. worker. Yeah, mm-hmm. the the simplicity is because I've edited it and edited it and edited it. Even in individual songs, mm-hmm. how many verses would you write 
Well, I write, I write more verses than you hear, but each line, I, I could easily spend a whole day, eight hours on a line. Your writing often reminds me of Leonard Cohen's. Well, Leonard's one of my heroes. Who wrote pages and pages of lyrics to get it down to that, to that very, and you, you have the same quality of, of being able to uh, take something very large and amorphous, a feeling, and put it in very concrete language. Yeah, it starts amorphous for me too. Mm-hmm. Very, very large anamorphous. And the process of getting it too simple is quite complex, actually. Mm-hmm. It, I, there's just a feeling in my gut that says you're not there yet, and I honor it. And, and it, 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 it makes me work harder, and, and, and I, don't, uh, let, I don't let myself off the hook very easily. I just keep going and try to get to that, to that truth that I know is underneath all of the almost truths. Do you write every day? No. I have zero discipline around writing. Okay. What makes you sit down and write then? Well, um, with the vets, it's urgent. I'm sat, I'm, sat in, I'm sat down in front of them and I got to get them a song and I got two hours. These, all these songs are written in less than two hours. So I don't do the hardcore whittly thing with these as, as I would with my own. Mm-hmm. So that's urgent. I got to do it. Uh, what gets me to write a song these days are intense emotions mm-hmm. and uh, confusion Co-writes help. I mean, I live in Nashville. It's a co-writey town. We sit down with a co-writer and have some coffee and talk about life, and, and that'll get me to a song. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm, I'm not a... Uh, uh, yeah, I wish I was more disciplined around that. I wish mm-hmm. I produced more songs. I want to ask you about something you said a couple of years ago when you released an album. You said you were at a point in your life that you wanted to de-romanticize romantic love ah, yeah. but you were through with the idea of romantic love i was through with the idea that romantic love was going to save me hmm. there's a difference okay for the longest time i thought romantic love would fix me kind of like the way i thought booze and dope were going to make me less anxious mm-hmm. i thought romantic love was going to make problems go away I think the, the move towards de-romanticizing romantic love is, is a move towards adulthood in some ways. Hmm. I believe in romance. I believe in, in romantic love. I, I'm, I'm currently in love, in fact, but it ain't going to fix me. The problems that I take into romantic love will remain the problems that I have to deal with. What did you think romantic love was going to fix when you believed that romantic love could fix you? God, you know, that's a hard question. You're going Barbara Walters on me here. I'm going to ask you what kind of tree you would be next. Yeah. So. <laughs> I think for the most part of my life, I've, I've been incredibly lonely. Music has helped ease that loneliness by connecting me to people. And uh, the, the process of working in therapy on a lot of the stuff that happened when I was a baby Mm-hmm. Um, that year in the orphanage has a greater impact than uh, if you'd have told me the impact of that when I was twenty. Uh, I mean, it would have just destroyed me because I wouldn't expect at fifty, going on seven, that I'd still be dealing. I'm going to be dealing with that for the rest of my life. We, we think of as an infant as they don't remember it, so it's it really isn't going to have an impact. Turns out, it affects the brain chemistry and it leaves a 
a traumatic imprint on the brain to not be held as a baby. And uh, there was something about romantic love that I thought would replace the affection I didn't get as a baby. And I had to come to terms with it. The reality is I have to, I have to learn how to deal with that in a way that it isn't going to make someone else my savior. So you still believe in romantic love. Absolutely. You're, you're putting it in its place. What comes along after? What, what sustains people? And, I, and I'm thinking particularly of a lot of the people you were working with on this most recent album. What sustains them then? It's not romantic love. Woody Guthrie said, well, all we really are is hoping machines. And so you have to have hope. And there are many, many, many forms of love. Romantic love's only one. We kind of idealize that, I think, uh, uh, culturally. Well, certainly songs have idealized that. But mm -hmm. if you were to ask me how the veterans in that position of de-romanticizing romantic love are able to, to keep it going, I think it's their love of each other. It's 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 it is love, but it, it's the love. Um, it's family love. It's making it's family of choice. It's um, hope, mm -hmm. and again back to um, the power of grace. Can you uh, can you finish by doing mercy now? Be my pleasure. I love Jamie's playing on that. I love that one little dissonant note. You, I thought is that a mistake? But then she no, she pulled it off. To learn more about Mary Gaucher, go to marygaucher.com. To hear other Broken Record episodes, and also a playlist of Mary Gaucher songs, head to brokenrecordpodcast.com. Broken Record is produced by Justin Richmond and Jason Gambrell, with help from Mia LaBelle, Jacob Smith, Julia Barton, and Jacob Weisberg. Our Broken Record theme music is by the great Kenny Beats. This show is brought to you by Pushkin Industries. For my co-hosts, Malcolm Gladwell and Rick Rubin, I'm Bruce Hedlund. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget Beach Finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Iberostar Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com.